If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In this episode, I'm talking with the beautiful Carla and an extra special guest, James, joins us. James is only 10 months old and was achieved after quite a stressful uh, conception journey and then a very eventful birth in first few days. So looking forward to everyone hearing Carla's amazing story. So welcome to the podcast today, Carla. Carla has got a gorgeous little boy who is actually joining us in the background, James. So welcome. Thank you so much for having us both. Hopefully he stays nice and quiet throughout. If not, it's just a true reflection of what solo mum life is like, isn't it? So absolutely. why don't we crack on and start with how you came to make the decision? What did you go through to think that this was the right path for you to become a mum? Look, it was never my first choice. And, you know, some people it is, and that's wonderful. But I did want the the fairy tale, I guess. I, you know, had dated seriously and... Um, my my last partner, we I really thought that was it, you know. And uh, so it was a bit of a shock when that ended. Um, he lived in another state and it really just ended because I wasn't ready to move yet. And although that was the long-term goal, it was sort of an ultimatum. And I have my own business here, all my family's in Queensland, so I, I just wasn't ready. So it was a really big shock when that that situation that relationship ended because I was absolutely heartbroken mm. I didn't know how long I would be able to keep going because I I always knew I wanted to be a mum yeah. you know I've traveled the world I've got the degrees and and although I always wanted to be educated and well traveled and all of those things but I always wanted to be a mum and uh, I really thought that perhaps my window was getting uh, smaller and smaller and that clock just ticks louder and louder that's, <laughs> that's something that definitely happens so you know after the relationship ended I did sort of start saving in the background um not really talking about it to anyone just saving just in case you know just in case and I dated a few people but it kind of fizzled out and um but it was always kind of in the back of your mind that this could be an option for you it could be an option, absolutely. Um, I had spoken to my GP um, 
recent, uh, sort of after my my relationship had ended and I said about, you know, possibly freezing eggs and how I would go about going down that path. And and he was so great. He's helped other single mums do it before. Um, so that was really handy. And then I got completely scared and forgot about it for six months. Uh, then I went back and, you know, I sort of thought, you know, getting closer to 33 by that point, I really do need to go and and just see a fertility specialist and see where I was at because there's so much we don't know about fertility uh, in our own bodies. We're not taught it. So, um, yeah, made the decision to just have a chat with a fertility specialist and I made the phone call and then again got scared <laughs> again. Um, saw the fertility specialist before my, before my 34th birthday um, and I thought, you know, I'll go in, get lots of eggs, freeze some eggs, freeze some embryos, and and we'll all be hunky dory. And it just wasn't that easy. What I learned about fertility was insane. Um, and I'm I'm a teacher, and I openly talk about this to my students now <laughs> because I just think they need to know. Um, but I I had a relatively low AMH level. I my body did not react well to any of the medication in that I couldn't get any eggs. Oh wow. So that was a really big a really big shock when I woke up after the first egg collection and there was none. And I went, "Oh my gosh. This is my dream." And then suddenly I become worse. The scans beforehand weren't showing that that was going to be the case. No, I I had follicles there. It was a really big shock for the fertility specialist. So we adjusted the medication and after three cycles, I ended up with one embryo, um, which which is James. So I only had one embryo after three cycles. I thought, we'll transfer, give it a go. Um, it was COVID. I kind of went, we were supposed to be going to the UK for a holiday and I went, you know what, we'll just transfer now and see how it goes. And, uh, and now we're here with a 10 month old, but it was, it was never my first option, but honestly, I would not change it for the world now. Like I'm actually so thankful that I did it this way. There's so many things that are a lot, a lot easier when you're on your own in terms of decision-making and, and all of those things. So it, it, although it wasn't my first um, choice, it's certainly the better choice for, for me. Yeah. A lot of people say that afterwards is not what they think going into, but when they end up with the goal, it's like, actually, I can't imagine having done this. So did you use a known donor or an anonymous donor? No, I used a, an anonymous donor. I did choose someone from the States. Uh, the pool of donors in Australia are pretty limited, as most people know. And um, I was really concerned with choosing someone that had medical history, a lot of medical history. That was what I was after. We have um, melanoma and breast cancer in my family. So I was very adamant that that was a big thing I was looking for. Um, So I did choose someone from America. Um, I did have a friend offer, but after speaking with my psychologist, um, the fertility um, donor psychologist, yeah. Um, yeah, just decided that was going to be way too complicated and could open up cans of worms um, that I didn't really want to go down that path. So, yeah, we've got an anonymous donor from the States. Um, and I went back, actually went back and looked at the donor's information the other day because I couldn't remember some of the physical traits. But uh, little James is just the spitting image of my dad's. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't even get much of a look in. Yeah. 
And so you got pregnant. Well, I want to say you got pregnant easily, but you didn't. You had three rounds of IVF to get little James. But was the pregnancy good once you actually got pregnant? Yeah, I was I was really lucky. I had a bliss pregnancy. I, I mean, I'm the type of person, you swing me on a swing once and I'm unwell. So I thought I was in for hell. Um, I had really, really mild nausea for maybe a couple of weeks and then that was it. Um, in saying that, though, uh, because I didn't really have any pregnancy symptoms as such, I really didn't let myself believe it for a long time but, or believe that he would stick around. Yeah. And it probably wasn't until I was about 16 weeks that I went, oh, okay, this this could actually work. My mum used to get really um, cranky with me. She goes, you know, why can't you just be excited? And I'm going, no, I'm just not getting my hopes up mm. because you just don't want that heartbreak. But, yeah, so I didn't really have many symptoms except for sugar cravings, although yeah. I um, kept off, I, I didn't have much sugar, but I did end up with gestational diabetes, which um, which was fine and totally managed, but mine was opposite. I would go low instead of high and that was a painful, but um, I went for my regular 37-week checkup with my obstetrician who was just amazing and he goes, oh, your blood pressure's a bit high and um, I never came home. So I ended up in oh, wow. hospital for four days prior to having him, which was like a mini holiday because I didn't have a baby and I wasn't sick. And, and you weren't I just got in labour. I wasn't in labour, so I just got to lay around and get food delivered to me for four days. Sounds amazing. Um, but, yeah, the preeclampsia uh, probably scared the doctors more than, more than me and, and he was born just under, just under 38 weeks. Um, but yeah, the, I did have a pretty eventful birth, mm-hmm. um, went in for, I was having a scheduled cesarean anyway, so that didn't bother me. Um, but just after he was born, I actually hemorrhaged, oh, my blood pressure dropped and they had to, I had extra bleeding. So they had to knock me out. So I didn't actually meet James until he was about four and a half hours old, which, uh, he was with my mum the whole time, which was lovely. But uh, I didn't meet him for quite a while. So after they had extra bleeding, they knocked me out, sewed me up, and then I hemorrhaged again on the table. So they knocked me out for a good amount of time and then needed um, an iron infusion and whatnot before I went and saw him. But other than that, I the hospital was great and he was wonderful. He was a dream. He didn't cry for four days. He still doesn't really cry doesn't cry with needles, anything like that. But, um, yeah, probably about 10 days after I had him, I was in a lot of pain. I had really low blood pressure. I couldn't get my blood pressure up. I felt like I couldn't look after him, but, of course, I was going through all the hormones and everything. I'm thinking, oh, I'm just – I've had a cesarean. Just get over it. I don't want to be that person that complains. And I happened to send a picture to my obstetrician. I just said, look – is this okay? Because my belly was really red and really sore. He said, get here now. Oh. And I ended up um, having a really bad infection uh, and a seroma, which is like a buildup of fluid. Um, and I needed emergency surgery after that and um, another 10 days in hospital, followed by two and a half months on a vac machine, which was not fun with a newborn. 
Um, so, so yeah, to the hospital with you, were you lucky enough to have some family support to look after him for like 10 days? I was really lucky. The first night, um, mum and I decided that I decided with my mum because he was going, that James would go and stay with her, but he was only like seven days old. Um, so he went home and stayed with there, but I couldn't cope after that. I just wanted my baby. You know, you work really hard for these babies. So yeah. I don't you sort of don't want to be separated. So um, the surgical ward actually, they let me stay on maternity. So I was able to have James with me and have his little cot and everything there. So that was really great. And they were really supportive. By the end of it, every time I had to go and get an ultrasound or a scan or something on my belly, the the midwives would just take him into their room and babysit him and it was great. You're so lucky you had your mum in that time. I think I'm thinking back to when I had Lexi and I had no one because it was full lockdown in Melbourne and my mum couldn't get to the country and nobody could oh. do anything. And it's like I was lucky they didn't have any complications like you did, but oh I'm so lucky for both mum and dad. You know, they've just done so Ow, he just bit me. <laughs> <laughs> this is real life people. <laughs> We've got seven teeth now, so we're we're biting. Um, But, yeah, my mum and dad were just amazing throughout. They pretty much did everything. They looked after my dog. They washed my clothes every because I was in hospital for so long, washed James's clothes and would come in and look after him so um, I could shower when I was in the hospital. I will say the second time I was in the hospital after my surgery, I wasn't allowed to shower for, like, seven must have been 10 days. Oh, that was the worst. Um, shower must they have been would amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But because I was because I was sick, um, because I had the infection, I did need to sleep a lot too. So, I mean, he was a newborn and slept wonderful, but you don't really sleep properly unless someone else was watching him, I guess. Um, so I was, I was really fortunate um, with everything that I had their support. So for anyone else going into it, you know, it is harder on your own if you do have complications. It's doable, but I imagine it would be a lot harder than what I had it. So both your parents, were they pretty supportive from the moment you made the decision? Absolutely. Um, I think they were very shocked. I don't – they've always known I've wanted to be a mum. My mum did say, you know, are you sure you've tried every – you know, Avenue, um, I tried the internet dating thing. It just wasn't for me. I felt awkward on there. I'm a bit of an intro- introvert um, to most people and it just didn't seem natural. It does work for some people. It just wasn't me. Yeah. Um, so, and I live in a small town. There's only so many people around. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, mum and dad were really supportive and especially initially because I was going in to freeze my eggs and have some embryos and then just see, but once we realized, I I guess once they realized that my AMH was low and when I guess they realized I was 34, like it became an actual, oh, okay. The time is running out. Um, you know, I think that helped a lot and, you know, someone said to me once, I spoke to a friend who had a cousin who had gone through this, and she said, once the baby's here, no one cares how it got here. Because I was concerned about, you know, the reaction being in a small town, and I'm a business owner, I teach kids for a living. Yeah. I was concerned about 
you know, other people's views. I know that you say you shouldn't, but I was. But they're completely right. Once a baby is here, no one gives two hoots how he or she got here <laughs> as long as it's a baby. Um, I run a dance school um, and I work at, sometimes at our local high school as well. And, you know, the kids are just obsessed with James. They don't – and they all know I've been pretty open. Some people don't – and the littlies obviously don't understand, but um, – yeah, they're all, everyone has been 110% supportive. So I was really lucky that way. And I guess knowing what you know now, what do you think you'd do differently? Knowing what I know now, I perhaps wouldn't have waited as long as I did. I mean, waiting as long as I did meant I was financially stable and, and lots of those sorts of things, but I wish, I definitely wish I'd gone and spoken to a fidelity specialist earlier yeah even it was just a chat to find out my amh level to find out where i stood with different things that's something that i have said to my students you turn 25 you go get a blood test you know (laughs) i just think it's so important that we just know so little and are taught so little and i wish people knew more And do you think, is there any advice that you, besides seeing a fertility specialist earlier, is there any advice you'd give anyone that's maybe pregnant at the moment with the child and that's about to come home, if anything they can do to prepare or what you learned from those kind of early days, apart from the fact of being in hospital once you could actually just have a normal life with James? Um, I was, look, I was going to prepare more beforehand, but because I ended up in hospital earlier, I didn't get maternity leave. I finished work on the Friday and I went into hospital Monday. So I didn't really have that prep time that some people get. Um, But I'm a pretty organised person. I had meals prepared. That was awesome. Even if they sat in the fridge for freezer for three months prior before they were used, that was great. Um, Yeah, just having, making sure there are some people that you can ring, even if you don't have family nearby, making sure that, you know, is there a friend or a neighbour you can call if you just need to have a shower or something as simple as that or just to go get you milk. Having that support network is is really important. Um, Just, I guess, get your tests done. That would be my main thing. Find a fertility specialist and a team that you really feel feel comfortable with. Yeah. I felt really, really comfortable with my fertility specialist and was super lucky that he's one of the most experienced ones in, in Queensland. I was super lucky. Um, getting a simple blood test can just tell you so much about where you're headed um, your timeline, things like that. And um, but guys, I certainly I wouldn't have changed the outcome now. Uh, because I only had one embryo and, and no eggs in the freezer, I'm actually um, going through some further egg collections now. I was going to ask uh, you about, about to. <laughs> about to, um, which does, you know, just in case. That's because I don't have that time as a luxury uh, to do that. So we'll go get some, try and hopefully get some embryos and some eggs in the freezer and and go from there. So with those embryos, will you be using the same donor as you had with James? 
Yes, I uh, actually ordered two amps, so um, I guess two vials for anyone that's starting out of the donor sperm, and they only used half to create James, half of one. So I do have the same donor in the freezer, I guess, which has been really good. So if I was able to create an embryo with that, they would be full siblings. Uh, But my advice for anyone thinking about it, even if it's just in the back of your mind, is go have a chat with your GP and get a test. You don't even have to see a fertility specialist to go and get a test, just to go get an AMH test. Um, I wish that, I guess, more uh, more GPs would talk to people about that type of stuff. Um, before when I hit 30 and I was out of this relationship, you know, if it wasn't for my GP, I wouldn't have known what it was or anything like that. But there is support out there um, for new mums and there's support out there for people who are thinking about this journey. And I think it's a matter of finding a little tribe that you can call out to or ask an opinion about and things like that. Yeah, I've definitely found the Instagram um, solo mum community has been pretty amazing for that sort of stuff. You get some random idea, just put it out there and everyone gives you their wisdom and you can take some and leave some, but just to have that. Absolutely. Sort of, a lot of things Absolutely. your friends just don't understand. So, so good. No, and I've, I really, you know, yourself, I followed you before I had James and a couple of other mums and I'm probably not as out there with, you know, this was my journey. But without you know, people like yourself, there are certain things that I would probably would have been a little bit afraid to ask or afraid to put forward to other people, whereas now, you know, I'll tell anyone who wants a chat about it. <laughs> and the amount of um, people that are my mum's age or even a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, um, younger, you know, when I've said this is what I'm doing or my mum has said and they go, oh, I wish I'd done that mm. or I wish I'd had that option because they did run out of options. Um, and that's really sad because when, you know, there are good days and there are not so good days, but there's always smiles and that makes it definitely worthwhile. And is there anything that surprised you since you've had James that you maybe weren't prepared for, good or bad? <laughs> Look, to be honest, I'm surprised how easy it is. <laughs> um, I know I'm really blessed to have a super good baby who sleeps through 99% of the time and he's been teething and he has he doesn't cry. Really lucky. Don't get me wrong. I'm not ignorant to the fact that I'm lucky. But I thought it would be a lot harder. I thought I would struggle being by myself. I thought I would miss the company of um, other adults, even though I teach kids for a living, but um, I thought I would miss work a lot more than I do. I was, before I had James, I was working 12 hour days. I'd work one job nine till three and in an office. And then as a property manager, then I would work three till nine at my dance studio. And I did that all through my pregnancy. That was, that was a slog, but I really thought that I would miss work because I've always worked and I I don't I'm really happy doing those mundane tasks that everyone complains about like the washing and the washing up and and I'm actually loving it cooking and and doing all those things I guess I've never got to do but always wanted to do with a with a baby 
yeah, I think it's definitely definitely a lot different than I thought it was going to be, but all in the positive way as well. Everyone thought, yeah, definitely. Well, everyone says you think it's going to be really hard, but I think because you have so much more control over all of it, you can also control your attitude towards it too. Oh, absolutely. Not doing the things instead. It's just all on you, so it makes it a bit easier. And I think, you know, having that attitude of, you know, what will be will be, you can't, if the baby wakes up in the middle of the night, you can't, you've got to try not to get stressed about it because you can't help that. It's not something you can change. And look, I believe James is quite relaxed because I'm quite relaxed about it. And whether that's, you know, I've got a bit of age behind me now to to warrant that where I've got friends that are a bit younger than me and they're, they're stressed out from the moment they bring that baby home um, and then the babies are really stressed. So, you know, he's at an age where he's getting into things and eating dog toys and things that he shouldn't, but there's there's not much else that we have issues with. Well, how could you looking at that gorgeous little face? <laughs> Just wants to eat the screen now. One thing that people won't be able to see on the podcast is that James has red hair, <laughs> bright red hair, um, which was a bit of a shock, but um, that comes from my dad's side of the family. And uh, so that was a big shock for me because I'm blonde. It's nice that it's and on your side, though, to know where it's come from. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We know where it's come from. But, yeah, I, I wish people knew that it's, it's not as necessarily as hard as what you think it's going to be. Um, I mean, I've been so blessed to have so much support, not just from my parents, but from my extended family and friends. Um, very fortunate that way to have um, very close family that live near, right near me. But he's so loved and that's all that matters at the end of the day. So is there anything you think you would do differently or that you could share in terms of selecting the donor, given that you had from overseas? So when it came to selecting the donor, um, once I went from the initial um, psychology appointment and then got the tick of approval uh, to open up, there was, there was only sort of oh, half a dozen or so donors from Australia in total. Um, I did know probably being in a small town, I did want James to have a Caucasian father just because I am and let's not complicate things too much for him. Yeah. Um, so once you took that out of the equation, there really wasn't many there. I would say know what you're looking for before you go in. Mm-hmm. I selected him by myself um, because I was really looking for medical history. If it's physical astri- attributes you're looking for or educational or more information or not so much information, I think knowing what you are looking for before you go in can help um, and, and go from there. I did uh, old school. I printed them out and yeah. I had a top three and and then spoke to my my mum and my best friend about it, about which one they think would be a better fit for long-term for James, whether that be um, meeting him. I did choose a donor that had a really nice letter written on the back, um, which in America they can do. Mm -hmm. And it said, you know, um, the reasons why he chose to be a sperm donor. And that really swayed my mind. Um, The fact that he was open 
according to the letter, open to contact if James wanted it after after he turned 18. Um, I'm not looking out for donor siblings or anything like that. That's If James wanted me to, then I would, would go that route then. Yeah. It's not something I'm necessarily looking for now. And did it, was it quite a process to get it from America to here? Or like did it take a long time or was it quite quick? Um, I'm not sure. Because I chose it before my first egg collection and I didn't use it until after my third, there was probably sitting there for, for quite a while. But because it was all through my clinic, um, I went with um, Queensland Fertility Group. They have a clinic here in Toowoomba and... I just picked it and then it just happened. So I just click the button, I'm locked out of the website and then I guess I just pay the bill and uh, the clinic gets it. So I don't really know the process of how it gets here, whether it was already here or anything like that. So um, it certainly took out all the middlemen for me. I didn't have to think about it once I clicked that button. Sounds pretty easy, actually. It's not really Very easy. an option for me in my clinic here. It was only Australian clinic recruited donors, the Joys of Victoria. So, yeah. So it different. would have closed off a lot of options. I was just lucky that I found one that I just fell in love with anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when obviously a lot of people know that there is a lot more uh, American donors, my clinic only does um, the US and Australia, so there was no option for um, European or any other continent, um, which I'm, I think other clinics do. But, yeah, because it was all run through there, it was a really simple process. Um, at my clinic, you do have to see a psychologist, um, a fertility specialist who specialises in donor eggs and embryo, um, eggs and sperm. Mm-hmm. It was millipede in my house and James was almost eating it. <laughs> Um, so once you've got that, but that is available anytime. When I did have that friend that offered, um, offered his sperm to me, I just rang back up. All of that was covered through my fertility specialist. I didn't have to pay for any of that. I have a friend going through the same process now. She's, um, 30 weeks pregnant with her baby, a little girl. And, um, she's gone and back and seen the psychologist a few times just to talk things out with someone who's completely non-biased, not involved, and sometimes that can be a really positive experience. It's a really great um, service that they're offering. Absolutely. But I would recommend that to anyone who was considering it if their clinic didn't offer that. I would recommend just going and having a chat with someone who may have a specialty in that field. Do you have any concerns about getting pregnant again given what you went through with James? at the end absolutely um the other day I was just a little bit sick and I'm going oh my gosh if I have half of what I got um post birth how would I go with a toddler and a newborn um and I I voiced those concerns to my mum and she said you know we'll we'll cope but um, she's just very keen. James is the first grandchild, so he's completely doted on. But, yeah, that's definitely a concern. If I had to go back into hospital um, post-birth, like, well, yes, I could take the newborn with me, but that would involve leaving James, and I don't want to do that either. So uh, I've already spoken to my obstetrician about this when I was in the hospital, 
Uh, and he said, you know, if I was to come back and have another baby, there would be a different process for me after a cesarean. So um, I would have certain medication straight in. The bug that I got is actually lives in me from a previous surgery, so it's not something I contracted oh. at the hospital. Yeah. So uh, we were able to find that out, which was really good. We did all the cultures and everything to to test it. So going forward, if I was to have another baby, there's already a plan in action as to what we would do to try and prevent that happening. So it sounds like you had a pretty good fertility specialist and a pretty good obstetrician, so good combo. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They were amazing. And uh, the second time I was at the hospital, my obstetrician was there twice a day. He would come and visit me. He he kept saying, I'm sorry, this has happened to you. Like, it, it's not his fault. It just happened. Um, but I was really fortunate to have someone that would just tell things to me straight. That's the type of person I am. I don't I don't need you to muddy coddle and, and sugarcoat things for me. Just just tell it to me straight. Um, and James actually says shares his uh, – my obstetrician's middle name was James, so he thought that was a bit cool. Great special. So did you get private health insurance to cover all of that? And did that help with fertility treatment as well, having to go through three rounds? Yeah, so I was already with private health. Um, before I went down this track, I did ring them to ensure that I was covered for um, pregnancy and, and IVF, uh, which I was, so that was really good. Um, it certainly doesn't cover even close to everything, um, with the Medicare rebate, that certainly helped. And then I was able to receive, I think it was about $1,000 per cycle back from my private health. Um, so if it's, can I give details of money? I think so, because I think a lot of people are quite conscious of that going into it is probably the biggest question yeah. of how much it's going to cost and how do I do that. So, Yeah, so, so out of pocket with three rounds of fertility and one embryo transfer, oh, sorry, with three rounds of egg collection and one embryo transfer. So this is not including the actual pregnancy itself. Um, it cost me out of pocket $28,000. And is that including the sperm as well or is that additional? That includes the sperm as well, which was about $3,000. So, because I did order the two amps. So, you know, it is a lot of money. I, like I said earlier, I'd started saving really early on. Um, but I really had no concept of how much it was going to cost. You know, you go to the fertility specialist, they say it's going to be this amount, you get your Medicare rebate. But I was really diligent in every, this is for every appointment with the fertility specialist, every extra blood test, anything that cost me money, I wrote down because I think it's really important for other people to know and every clinic is different. Um, I know there's bulk bill clinics out there um, that only do um, uh, lower, what is it called? Sort of slow release drugs and things like that. Okay. Um, but every clinic, and it depends where you are as well. But on average, it's, I think it cost me essentially $12,000 a cycle and then everything else I got back from from Medicare. I think that's the biggest thing most people think of when they're going into this and it's the biggest worry is how will I afford it financially for the treatment and then once I've actually got the baby. How are you finding it? Are you back at work now or 
about to go back? I am. I've, I'm back at the studio um, a couple of days a week. And, and once I'm there, I really am enjoying um, teaching and being back in the studio and things like that. Um, it is really hard. It's not hard to leave him as such because I know he's perfectly fine, but I really enjoy the nighttime routine. And that's something that I can't necessarily do as someone who teaches outside of school hours. Mm. I do miss those bath time, dinner time and things like that. So that's been a bit tough. Uh, when my parents go away, they, they're just retired. So they travel here and there. Um, he does come down to the studio with me sometimes if, and then we can finish early and I get some other teachers in. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, constantly offers to babysit so she's very excited she will get him for like two hours in a couple of weeks so my fertility specialist um that helped me have James is actually retired now as well so I did have to find another fertility specialist um going forward I was really lucky in that thank you for that contribution um my fertility specialist actually um, handpicked someone to take over his clinic um, and I went and had a meeting with her this week and she is just lovely, but all the nurses were the same. And I think it's important to find someone with a really good team because you will be dealing with the admin staff, the nurses, mm-hmm. all of that. You, you're not going to be dealing with the fertility specialist 99% of the time. So be comfortable with everyone. That's important. I guess you come across as a pretty positive person anyway, but was there any advice you'd give to people actually going through the fertility treatment? Because you obviously had three rounds and only got one embryo. That must have been pretty tough mentally. How did you sort of manage that side? I remember after my first cycle and I got no eggs and I randomly reached out to someone on Facebook who had been through this process and I just said, this is what's happened. And I don't even know why. If it felt like such a random thing in hindsight to do to reach out to a complete stranger. But I guess I just needed someone who felt a little bit of solidarity with me. Um, And we didn't know at that point what that meant, whether that was, I've got no eggs at all. Mm -hmm. Is that the end of the process? Um, But a really good friend of mine said to me, she's a nurse and she said, your AMH proves that you've got eggs. It's just about how you get them just about trying to get them and that was the most positive thing and I hung on to that for the rest of the processes I knew that there was eggs there I just needed to get them so anyone that's experiencing difficulty that it's not just a cookie cutter IVF you get your drugs out comes your eggs like it's not that simple um but in terms of someone who was pregnant right now I would just get prepared and enjoy the process because you'll be taking a baby to all your appointments in no time. (laughs) Oh, good advice. And what do you think you're most looking forward to in the future with James? Going on lots of adventures with him, that's for sure. I'm fairly keen to go back to the UK and see some family there and, and travel. We've got friends all around the world. So they're very keen, particularly my friends in Africa, to meet a real life redhead. (laughs) (laughs) They're really excited about that. Um, Did not turn blind. 
<laughs> no, I hope not. Um, but yeah, going on lots of adventures and just sharing, sharing my life, I guess, that's something I'm really enjoying now and looking forward to because, you know, although I did all these things, I was on my own and, you know, sometimes you just don't want to be sitting at the table by yourself. You want to have someone else with you. So going on adventures with him is probably my most favourite thing that I'm looking forward to. Well, borders opening up, hopefully it's not too long before you can do that. So, Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. I love the fact that you had, well, I don't love the fact, but I like the fact that you went through so many rounds and had such a positive outcome at the end of it and that you could keep that positivity throughout the whole journey to get him. I think he's kind of paying you back by being such a great baby for you now after what you went through. I think so too. And let's hope if there's number two that they're the same. <laughs> oh, everyone tells me number two will be horrific compared to this one. So that does concern me a little bit. But hopefully if we can stay positive and and relaxed, because I'm a I'm a fairly high strung person um, in general. So to be this relaxed in motherhood has surprised me. Well, you haven't come across highly strung at all, so it must be relaxing you. Is there anything else you'd like to say to anyone who's listening tonight to your wonderful story? Look, my number one thing would be just go and have a chat with a fertility specialist or just your GP, even if it's something just in the back of your head because you can get so much information from a blood test and reaching out to other people in the community. um, No one's going to think that you're mental because we've all been through that. Same thing where do we want to chat about it? Who can we chat to? And, and finding out what you're in for and, and how beautiful it can be. I certainly would not have changed a single thing. Well, thank you so much, Carla. I can't wait to, for other people to hear your story. Thank you so much. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.